Okay, here I am. <laughs> there we go. Big smile. We are very excited to have you on the show. This is episode, what is it, Roberto? 55? 55, I think. I think, yes, this is oh, 55. Wow. And we have never had uh, an author of 10 books on, <laughs> uh, on small houses, tiny houses, prefab houses. I mean, you are uh, a very productive and very successful writer. And we are very lucky to have you on the show. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. I, I think this is just fabulous. So your latest book is, what's the name of the latest book? Bigger Than Tiny, Smaller Than Average. And when I made the mistake of interchanging tiny and small, you corrected me and said, there's a difference. So what's the difference? Yeah. Okay, so most people, think like you do, and they are really don't know what the difference is. When you say a tiny house, it means a mobile home that's on wheels and it can be taken from place to place. It is not code compliant. Most of the time it doesn't have septic. So you have to have a composting toilet and you have to have tank with water. Um, however, a small house can be just as small as a tiny house. I have a, a small house that's a little over 400 square feet in my book, but it's code compliant. It has a foundation and it's built like any other house. It's just small. So I guess when I, I did that title, it's funny. I was, wrote an article for Forbes.com um, a, over a year ago, and I had that title, and I got over a hundred thousand clicks on it. So I thought I'm on to something here. So I decided to use that for the title of my book. And this book, unlike some of the others, I do a lot of books on prefab. This book profiles very small houses that are that are um, prefabricated, site built, and renovations. All of the above. All of the above, yes. <laughs> All right, I'm going to hit share screen uh, and show three, and have you tell us about these three uh, since you're since we're talking about examples. So this is small square footage under two thousand feet. Right. All of these houses are code compliant. Um, the one on the left, the big little house, was um, an architect. He owned a piece of property in Florida, and uh, I guess there was a downturn in construction at the time. And so he just used the property to put up some of these tiny little houses. And they're so adorable inside. And, um, and I think he just rents that out. The middle one is part of what's called a cottage community. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but that's basically a little planned community where the... Um, the garages are separate. Most of the time they're built with porches. And this particular one is a summer community by the water. And the third one is actually in Connecticut and it was a single guy, he got divorced and he just wanted a basic house for himself. And he built it actually himself. And it's quite an adorable house, very, very beautiful inside. And, um, and he's very happy. All of the people that I interview, and I've been writing about small houses for a while, all of the people that live in small houses are really delighted. They enjoy living with a little bit of space. So Sherry, just curious, are you finding that this is happening all over the country? Um, it is actually in some places more than others, more like in the coastal regions. But what's happening, there's basically two groups of people who are looking for small houses. Millennials are graduating with massive school loans and they are getting married later. They're having fewer children and they don't want big houses and they're looking for smaller houses that they could afford. They also don't want to spend all their time mowing lawns and and cleaning huge houses they this is a very active generation they want to go skiing and bicycling and they don't want to be tied down to a house and the other thing about millennials is they grew up much more environmentally conscious than 
any other generation. They are taking ecology classes in school. They have um, filling stations for their bottles so they don't throw away bottles. They're very conscious of that. And um, smaller houses are just in the size are more environmentally friendly. The other group that is looking for smaller houses are boomers. And boomers used to be old people that wanted to live in senior communities. But boomers today are not old. They are, they're younger, they're more active. They don't wanna live in senior communities. They wanna be around other, other younger people or a mixed uh, generation also. They, um, if they had their kids in a suburban house, they might want to live in the country or they want to live in the city. So they want something totally different. And they definitely are looking for smaller houses. And also they don't want to be tied down to um, maintenance on a house. They want to be active and doing things. And both groups are very energy conscious and it's going to get, I predict, much worse because energy is becoming more and more expensive. So people want a very energy efficient house. So they're not spending massive amounts on energy. So let me back up a moment and introduce you to Roberto Cabrera. My partner is in New York City. And so um, I want to address some of these comments to New Yorkers who think nothing of living in 2000 square feet. I also want to introduce you to Scott Hobbs, who's, uh, who's a builder in Greenwich, Connecticut, where you live, Sherry, and in New Canaan and in the Hamptons. And, um, and he builds lar very large houses. So he's gonna, we're, we're going to have a builder's perspective on some of this. <laughs> but Scott is also responsible as the head of that affordable housing here in New Canaan. And so when Scott's been charged with coming up with efficient housing, affordable, efficient housing, and has been really working on not only in New Canaan, but Connecticut wide, you know, what, what changes does zoning have to happen and what kind of places are appropriate for affordable, modest housing? So um, it occurs to me that we, when we talk about these small houses, that um, we're talking about somewhere else. Because I don't see a lot of this going on in Greenwich, Connecticut, New Canaan, or Southampton, where Roberto is. And, and I wonder why. And what's it going to take for that to change? I could, I could answer, that, answer that. The problem is, is that a lot of the zoning laws say you have to build on three acres or two acres. And the problem is then, People, the builders want to build a big house because they want to maximize the size of this lot. If, however, the zoning laws changed, they could put four houses or five houses on an acre and they would be smaller and they'd be more affordable. But the problem is the zoning. The other thing that's, that's a growing concept in this country is, is accessory dwelling units which uh, they actually started in British Columbia where people were building these smaller units where if you have a parents that want to live in near you and they don't need a lot of space, they can move into that. Or if you have a student who just graduated from college, they might want to live there. Um, and California passed ordinances allowing these and they're very popular in California and Oregon but um, Connecticut, the only place that they'll allow ADUs is in Fairfield. And if they would allow more of these, there would be more living space in these areas. And like in, in Greenwich, they're building these massive apart multiplexes and they're really out of the character of Greenwich. And if they allowed ADUs, perhaps there would be more more availability and more affordable if they had that. But people don't want change. I don't know what they're nervous about. They're very popular in other places around the country and they are the future of, of construction. I mean, they, there is going to be more of them. It just, the ordinances were just passed in like 2018. So people are still getting up to speed on that. Scott, if we change, if we, if we change the zoning laws, 
are, are you, you know, is that all we need to do, Scott? Or are, are you skeptical or? Oh, I mean, I think this could easily be part of the solution. I think the ADUs is a huge plus for all types of communities. You have to work through septic issues and congestion and sort of parking and some other items, but those are all manageable. And, and I think, you know, as Sherry's bringing up, I mean, people want different types of housing and the tiny house fits a, a niche that is big and needed. So, I mean, I've been fascinated by her work for a long time and, and, and appreciate it. Do you, how much does it cost to build these tiny houses? It looks like you have a particular expertise in prefab. I'm wondering whether these houses are prefab or whether they're built on site, whether there's an advantage to building them prefab. Um, so, uh, because when I've talked to Scott about this, uh, sorry, Scott, Scott says, it's no more efficient to build these prefab. We can build them on site just as efficiently. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Is Scott going to answer this? <laughs> well, I'd say if, if, you're, if you're recreating and mass producing something, you can obviously get efficiencies. When you end up, the, the more you deviate from a standard, the less prefab ends up having an advantage over, over site produced. Does that sound meet with your expectations, your thoughts, or? When I look at this one in Nova Scotia, it looks very custom. The passive DACA in Maine also, 1,000 foot off the grid, looks very custom. I mean, it looks like the shell could have been mass produced, but after that, that roof was probably put on on site. Uh, this passive house in LA, Culver City, that looks very custom. Most of the houses that are in my books, and I've written about five prefab, prefabulous books, most of the houses are custom built. But if you're talking to me about the, the is it better for, for me, it's way better to build a, a prefabricated house than on site. It goes faster. Um, there, the workers can work 12 months a year, particularly in areas like Colorado where people ski and, and or even around the Northeast where we have very cold and icy weather sometimes. So there, there are, I could go on for a very long time talking about the advantages of prefab construction. And even if it wasn't cheaper, I, I would personally never build an on-site house. I would much prefer a... Um, prefabricated house. What you're looking at here is the 430 square foot house on the left is um, of, of obviously a small house, but so well designed with, with great cabinetry. Um, there, there's a couch there which can be used for sleeping and the owner's own bed is kind of a little out of the way so that there's a little bit of privacy there. The house on the right is an ADU that was built in British Columbia and it was renovation from a garage that was there. And they put an extra floor on it. And I don't know if you could see on the right, there's a work um, study area. And this house has everything that you might need and it's all packed into 650 square feet. So that's hey, Sherry, let, Sherry, let me ask you a question. So the house on the left, the micro house is 430 square feet. Why is it only for, I under, it seems like it's more the idea of let's make a small house and let's make it all compact as opposed to, I mean, was there a limitation of land in that exact spot or was it the idea? Because why didn't they make it 650 square feet? That's a great question, which I asked when I saw the picture of the house, I thought, oh, this must be some hippie kid, but it's actually a professor who owns this house and lives up there. And he said, I don't want to collect a lot of stuff. He's on a very beautiful meadow with lots of space around him, a lot of nature. He said, I just don't want a lot of space. I don't want to collect a lot of stuff. He doesn't want and, guests. And well, his daughter comes to visit and he has a little loft, which I don't know if you could see there. And there's a couch where two people can sleep. And he says, when his daughter comes with friends in the, 
in the summer. He pitches a big tent outside and everybody stays outside. He put a basement in so that he could have a wash and dryer because the builder told him there wasn't, it wasn't a lot of extra money to build a, a, a basement. So he has some of his storage down there. And what he said is, I want really good quality instead of a lot of space. So he put, he put in like expensive cabinetry. Everything that he has in the house is, is first class, but it's small. So less, so, cost, better quality. So let me ask you this. Is this house built with like green materials, et cetera, which can be quite expensive. So then your per unit cost of building something like this is actually quite high. Mm -hmm. I don't think it was built in Vermont. I don't think um, the cost was that high. No, <clears throat> I think around, around Connecticut or the Hamptons, the cost of construction is way higher than it is in other places. Um, what you're seeing here is just very creative use of space. <clears throat> the house on the left is, uh, is also an ADU, but the um, television can be seen in both the living room and the bedroom, and it just spins around. <clears throat> That's your That's neighborhood, Roberto. That's Southampton. <laughs> yeah. Well, where, I'd love to see the address of that house. Do we have an exterior picture of this? Um, I do not have it on here. I have it um, in one of my books. <clears throat> You're going to have to buy the book. Anyway, no the problem. house on the right was a, they were on a tight budget. And instead of putting a lot of cabinetry, they put shelving. And where the window is, is metal shelf so that <clears throat> you could use it as a dryer. And you also are not wasting space and you have light coming in. Very clever. So I want to ask, I want to go back to Scott. Scott, when you build affordable housing in New Canaan, and I've asked you, where is the demand? You said most of the demand is in the two-bedroom and the three-bedroom units. Is that true? And how big, you know, an apartment um, is a one-bedroom, a two-bedroom, typically? And, um, you know, and why aren't the, why isn't there a greater demand for the one-bedroom units? Because, so on the one hand, this is a very appealing concept. I want to build more small houses, um, you know, because of the efficiency you've talked about, Sherry. But when I talked to Scott about the demand, he says there's just not that much demand for small houses. So well, we, we, I mean, in a community like New Canaan or, or Greenwich or other places with really good school systems, the, the most heavy demand is for people who have school age kids. And obviously in that, in that case, you're gonna end up having more um, demand for the two and three bedroom. And I believe like our one bedroom apartments are around the 680 to 750 square feet. Um, you have the two bedroom apartments get up to, I think uh, 1100 and three bedroom get up to 12 or 13. And I may be off by hundred or 200 square feet for each of those. Um, and, and, you know, we still end up having far more one bedroom apartments than of the uh, two and three bedroom. And I think it's just as people, you know, the one bedroom apartment inside of a uh, apartment complex isn't necessarily what a ton of people want. If you take a look at the, uh, my current book, Bigger Than Tiny, all of the houses are under 2000 square feet. Most of them have multiple bedrooms <clears throat> and they just use the space really, really well. Um, there's a house that has two, the family has two children. It's a thousand square feet built by the same, uh, it was designed by the same architect that did that micro house. And the owner is a, um, is a designer for pocketbooks. And he said, I designed the house just like I do a pocketbook where there's a place for everything. And like Frank Lloyd Wright, interesting, a lot of these houses have small bedrooms because people have children. They want their kids to be where they are. They don't want the kids to be, you know, disappearing into a bedroom. So a lot of the houses have two and three bedrooms and the bedrooms are small. But this house that was um, designed by this architect is a thousand square feet and, and four people live there. And they said it's perfectly great. Sorry, has any of that changed with COVID when people are having to spend more time together in home? 
the big thing that people want is outdoor space. So all of these houses that are in this book are designed with porches and, and um, different outdoor spaces. Um, so I think that during COVID, people just wanted to get outside. And so having outdoor space was really, really are, helpful. Are any of these houses, I mean, imagine there, there's, imagine there's enormous numbers of people who have 25 acres of land, they have five acres of land, and they construct one of these small houses like in the back for guests or for the college kids who come back home. Is any of that happening? Oh, yeah. I have several of them. Actually, one of the houses in this, um, in this book, um, the people built an ADU behind their house thinking that they do a lot of traveling, that they would rent out their house and live in the ADU. Wow but they haven't gotten to all this traveling stage and they like the ADU so well that they're living there instead of their big house. That's, it's actually, no, wait. Okay. Yeah, it's on the left. It's, um, they built it to the screen before this. It's a metal, a metal um, out exterior. And the, so they- The bully house or the, or the lucky no, house? Neither one of these, the next one. Nope. There. Nope. There. There you go. On the left, um, these people that built the ADU in the back, they just wanted it to be very energy efficient and low maintenance. And so the picture on the left, you could see they had metal siding. They have um, lots of light coming in with skylights. The house on the right is a passive house, which is a growing trend. Um, building houses that are so energy efficient um, that they require minimal energy. And this was designed by an architect and it's uh, basically um, requires no energy. It has um, a filling uh, a station, a battery pack for their car and, um, and they really need no outside energy. And a passive house just to find it for us means? Okay. So Passive House is a certification that began in Germany. And the requirement is that it, unlike LEED, where you it, it has to do with products and all of that, with Passive House, you can only have 0.6 air changes. So it's incredibly energy efficient and you need to meet that standard with a blower door test, et cetera, to be certified Passive House. And it's become popular in this country. There's, um, there's a passive house um, uh, group in the United States. And actually I did a book on Prefabulous World which had houses all over the world. And there are passive houses popping up in all different places in France and England and um, in countries all over. Can I ask the indelicate question? How much does it cost on a on a per foot basis or on a total? Uh, are these relatively expensive or are these affordable? Um, can you talk to us a yes, little bit about? You know, about. So the, the, this metal house on the left uh, is that a thousand foot, or this seventeen hundred foot house in Johns Island, South Carolina? That it occurs to me that this might at seventeen hundred feet cost as much as a larger house that you're not saving money going down to 1700. You're just, uh, well, I, I, I think you are saving money because you're, when you build a house, it's uh, per square foot. And usually the, the cost is figured out per square foot. And all people always ask me what houses cost. And the, and the reality is that it depends on where you're building that house. If you're building a house in, um, Minneapolis or I don't know, in, in Idaho, it might be much less money than building it in New York or in California. So I think it's really hard to, you know, to give a figure on that. Okay, fair enough. I was thinking more like Greenwich, where you are and where Scott builds, you know, <laughs> and uh, it is expensive, expensive around here. Greenwich. And a lot of people say, well, it's just as expensive to build a small house as a slightly larger house, it's still gonna cost me 
50 or $100,000 for a kitchen, it's still going to cost me for plumbing. You know, it's still going to cost me for all the, th all the really expensive things, parts of my house. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm going to spend every bit as much for. So I might as well go larger. Is that but true? You're also going to have to heat and cool that house. True. And maintain that house. And so maintaining a larger house is, is much more expensive and less efficient. And for the most part, I do believe that these smaller houses do cost less money to build. And maybe you're right, you could build a slightly bigger house, but most of these people are not interested in, ha they have everything that they need in the houses that they're building. I built a house in Greenwich in um, 2000 that was 6,800 square feet. And I had my two kids living there and I always had people and it was, it was a beautiful house. But then I, when my kids left, I, I, re, I now live in a 1700 square foot condo in, in Greenwich. And my son came back and then his girlfriend moved in with us. And we have everything we need and we are just as happy living in this smaller space. And it's massively less expensive to maintain. So the, but, so the, but the primary driving factor of the people, it seems that the people who are buying these houses or making these houses is about a way of living. It's not about, like you talked about the millennials, it's not about budget mm -hmm. and about trying to build a cheap house. It's trying to build a house that they find efficient and it suits their sensibilities of how they want to live their life and how they feel about the environment. Mm -hmm. That seems like the majority of the buyer, right or not? Yes, that's true. Okay. That's true. And, but I think prices is also a factor. I don't think they could afford these massive houses. I mean, I've met people that wanted to live in Greenwich. Their parents live here and they can't afford it. On the other hand, if we allowed ADUs, then some of these houses in backcountry, people could build a house, an ADU for their kids and they can live there. And, and the, the, the owner's house, the taxes would go up, but they wouldn't have to spend the money for property and for a house. Um, there is a, there's one of the early ADUs that I have in one of my um, books was from British Columbia. And these people had a million dollars to spend on a house and they looked around BC and they could not find anything that was affordable. And so they decided to convert their parents' garage into a house. And they made this beautiful little house and they have a built-in babysitter, great food. And not, it's not one of these, but um, okay. it worked out really, really well for them. And uh, they said at some point when they have more children and their parents are getting a little bit older they might wanna exchange houses and the young family live in the bigger house and the parents live in the smaller. So these have worked out really well in a lot of locations, but we don't allow them in Greenwich. So, I mean, that could solve an issue of some young people who do want to live here and they just can't afford it. I think it's a great idea. I happen to be on the zoning board here and we're struggling with this now. And, uh, you know, I wrote, I wrote a letter to the editor yesterday saying that, we say we want more small house uh, options, but we only have one size fits all zoning rules, you know, that encourages you to build the biggest house you can um, because the cost of the land is so expensive. So if a lot costs $1 million in Greenwich or New Canaan or, you know, um, then you're going to, then a lot of people aren't going to build a 1000 foot house on that. They're going to build as big as they can because- well. If that person could, if the builder then could build four houses on that property, they would be much less expensive, they'd be more affordable and they would be desirable to a whole group of people. And those houses could be lovely. If you see some of the houses that are in my book, you saw that uh, one in South Carolina, um, they can be perfectly lovely and, and have a little bit less land. And a lot of people don't want all that land. At this point, for me, I don't want to have a lot of property to take care of, and I'm happy to have a smaller lot. Tell me about this house. Uh, I'm going to show it on the screen if I can get my 
there we go. Um, in Freeport, Maine, 1,600 feet. Mm -hmm. And uh, you, you're making the point of minimal hallways. So it's a very efficient house. What strikes me about this is it's also single level living. Mm -hmm. And you talk a good deal about the boomers um, gravitating toward these kinds of homes. Um, is it because they're single level living and that's uh, therefore with no steps, uh, that's uh, a, a better design? I don't know that it's a better design. It's actually more expensive to spread out rather than go up. Mm -hmm. um, it is, but um, these people just wanted a very efficient house. And what's interesting is when you have a lot of hallways, you're heating and cooling those hallways and you're paying for the cost of building that space. What they did in this house is, I don't know if you can see it, but there's, um, in the living area, there's a, a line, and that's a two-way book uh, bookshelf that's uh, lighted, mm -hmm. lit, and so it separates the private areas of the house from the social areas of the house without having hallways, and it has open space. Um, a lot of young people today want to have their primary bedroom on the first floor, even if it's several, even if it's two floors, a lot of people are buying a house with the idea that this is going to be my forever home and having a bedroom on the first floor makes it more possible. And also things happen. I mean, people break a leg skiing and they can't make it up the steps. So it's just great to have a bedroom on the first floor or people have elderly parents that are going to come visit and so a lot of people are looking for first floor bedrooms so sure are there architects that specialize specifically in doing this type of house like if i call pete pete if i came to you and said i want to buy make a micro house are you going to take it on we we done smaller houses by our standards um and by, by that, your standards which is... yes our, our standards small would be three to five thousand square feet <laughs> yeah, okay. um and and that would be considerably smaller than most of what we do but um, so if i came to you though and i said pete i got this piece of land i want to build 900 square feet what are you so, going to tell me I think part of this is it's an economics discussion, right? If you're in Greenwich and you don't maximize your FAR, then people either think you're a fool or they're gonna kind of look at you and say, you know, why are you doing that? Because you're just gonna have to tear it down later. If you're out in what I'd call more a recreational property in Vermont or in the Hamptons or in the Carolinas, some of the ones that we've seen there, it might make more sense because there's more open space for you to use. So you're not relying on the home in the same way that people here normally rely on their home, which is a, a base for entertaining for kids, for everything. Their program is different. Whereas yeah. for one of these homes that's out in a more remote location or recreational area, I think that makes more sense. But you wouldn't build one for me if I had like five acres and I just want to put it for my kids when they come back from college? Um, Sure, we draw it. Okay. Okay. I have a lot of architects that I've been working with for for several books, and they um, and a lot of them do specialize in building more efficient, smaller houses. Um, I have a lot of houses that are in the uh, northwest where people are very energy conscious, and they're used to smaller houses and smaller lots so um i don't know i find lots of architects who are very happy to build smaller more efficient houses and you should take a look i think that you should all take a look at some of these houses they are not lacking for style or space um i was interested in this one in north carolina very small under a thousand feet 800 and uh lots of glass uh, can you tell us about this one? 
Yeah. So actually, I have a special place in my heart for the Sola Decathlon. I don't know if any of you are familiar with this, but the Sola Decathlon is an event that's run by the Department of Energy. And initially, um, when they began this, they had houses that would meet on the mall. They, the college students from different schools around the country and around the world would come and show their houses on the mall. Um, this past year, I was actually a Jura on the Sola Decathlon and it was all remote. And um, everybody showed their houses remotely online. Uh, the next Sola Decathlon that's gonna happen and people can look this up on um, the internet. These houses are fascinating. These are students that develop new technology and they're all energy efficient, um, great use of space. And that particular house, um, the, the students built a panel which has an entertainment area. And then you can turn it around and you there's a bed that comes down and they designed it so that the entertainment section of this can be seen outside so that you can sit outside and have a little picnic and still use that panel. But these students have come up with amazing technology. And uh, I always try every time I do a book to include one of the houses from the Sola Decathlon. And this was really a beautiful one. And it takes a lot of energy modeling to be able to have a lot of glass and still be energy efficient. The Murphy bed to hide away the bed, um, is that done a lot in the small houses and tiny no, houses? No, not at all. This is the only one that I've seen. Hmm. It's but funny because my, my mother just downsized to a 900 foot or less apartment and she just got rid of her bed in favor of a Murphy bed in order, and she just ordered it. And she said, I just picked, you know, got it from Wayfair or Ikea and I just ordered uh -huh. it. And she loves her Murphy bed because it just freed up so much more space in her oh. apartment. No, it's so. great. But most of the houses that I've uh, profiled, they have room for a bed. They have room for two or three bedrooms and they're not, and they're not particularly um, tight. Here's one technique that you're showing here is uh, barn doors and pocket doors. That's a way to um, save some space. When you have swinging out doors, they take up space. And also these pocket doors, they uh, are made, two of these are made of glass so that you have privacy but you also have light coming through and you can open up a large part of the room uh, to another part space in the house um, more so than you would with a typical door. And what percentage of these houses that you feature in your book and things like that are actually primary residences? Oh, I would say at least half. And some of the houses actually were built as uh, vacation homes and people ended up living there full time. Um, they just decided they could work remotely. And so they just decided to uh, live in the house and, and move there permanently. I think that's fascinating because you're right. A lot of us are just afraid of giving up our stuff and we have to do it in stages. So we, if we consider a small house, I think we consider it as our second house. And then we get comfortable with the idea, comfortable not having your old photo albums and other things that you've just been, you know, collecting for, you know, decades in some cases, you know, and, and that you're storing. Um, I pick on photo albums because, you know, every, every year there's a few more photo albums and, and uh, I look at my photo albums and I say, I haven't looked at these in the last year. Why am I holding on to them? You know, why am I holding on to a lot of the stuff in my house? I want to be free to go buy a small house in your book, but I'm nervous. <laughs> I'm nervous about giving up my stuff. I got rid of about 95% of my stuff when I moved out of my large house. And I can say that for the most part, I don't miss most of it. Uh, it was you just stuff. And I had, I love photos. So I had, I just had a million photos. Every day I used to take a picture of my kids when they were little. 
And wh what I did is I went to Michael's and I bought these um, plastic valises that have like 14 little boxes in it. And I just emptied every album into one of those boxes and I labeled it with the date. And I got rid of like five massive boxes of albums. So there's a way to save that stuff and, you know, and not get rid of things that are precious to you. So Sherry, when you downsized, you went from what size to what size? 6,800 square feet to 1,700. That's a big move. Yeah. It's and a big move. None of my furniture fit. So I got a lot of Ikea and Wayfair and West Elm. And I had beautiful things, but I still live in a very comfortable place. And um, it's just a lot easier. I spent a lot of my time. I, incidentally, this is the inside of that ADU I showed with the metal siding. Um, I spend a lot less time on, um, on maintaining my house. I had five different heating and cooling areas and I was changing filters and cleaning a pool. And it was just a full-time job, just taking care of the house. And I- so you, you mentioned furniture. You had to get rid of all your furniture and just thinking, how often is it employed where the furniture is built into the wall or, you know, you have a banquette that's built in, you have a couch that's kind of, it's just a built-in thing. So it's not a freestanding piece of furniture just in order to consolidate and, and be efficient about the space. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of furniture today that's uh, much more efficient. Um, when I, when I built my house, I worked with a decorator and I had, gorgeous furniture that I was going to keep forever. I ended up getting nothing for that furniture because nobody wants used furniture. And I think that today there's so many places to get very affordable, beautiful furniture. And so today um, I have furniture and I say, you know what, if it doesn't fit in the next house, I'll get rid of it, but it won't, it wasn't a major investment. And I think a lot of young people today are buying from those kind of places. Ikea, I went to Ikea to buy some furniture for my daughter's apartment. And I mean, they were out of everything. They're just so busy. I mean, you could wait for an hour online to pay. There's people are buying more disposable furniture. And, and some of it is just really beautiful. And you can easily decorate with furniture that if it doesn't fit the next place, you know, it goes. Building in furniture can be expensive and I don't, most of the people are not doing that in my books. Jeannie Hart, you're one of my long-standing neighbors here in New Canaan, Connecticut. Do you think this is what we need here in New Canaan and Greenwich and Southampton? We need more of these small houses. Can you sell, you're, she's also a realtor. Can you sell small houses like this? I, it looks it's very tempting, but I'm in a condo, so I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty small place. Would <laughs> you have bought a small house if any were available? Because I think yeah. we all downsized to a condo because there are no small houses. No, I know. If I think there was one, I think I'd be oh love it. But I must say I'm very happy here. And one of the things that we look for is single level living, right? And we look for somebody else to take care of the maintenance when we, yeah, when nice we move to a I condo. Have, I have right, I have 20 nice friends right in our little, little circle here, which is nice. So Sherry, is this the kind of, so are we really competing with the condo buyer when we talk about the small house? We say, um, well, you know, you could go condo and then you're in a community with 20 people, like Jeannie says, um, versus, you know, basically getting small house on a large piece of property and doing it for energy efficiency reasons and other reasons. No, Do I you have any small houses in New Canaan? No. Unfortunately no. not. No, we're but... tearing down our small houses as fast as we can and replacing them with big houses, just like in Greenwich. <laughs> <laughs> I think that people want the small houses, they just can't find them. 
Right. And, um, uh, none of the people that I that I have profiled want to live in a condo. They want outdoor space. Um, they want land, even if it's a small amount of land. So, um, but they have been able to find places to build these houses where they feel comfortable. There was an older woman who wanted a house and she found a development and the people had an extra piece of property where they could build three small houses. And this woman was really tickled because she said she has a whole community with the condos right nearby. And yet she has her privacy with a backyard. And so, you know, it's possible to have a community and also to have a house. And that's one of the things that people like about cottage communities, which are kind of um, built neighborhoods that are kind of tight neighborhoods. And a lot of the cottage communities, they have, they all have porches. And surprisingly in Greenwich, I live in kind of a, almost like a little cottage community. It's uh, very unusual. It's right in town. There are 10 houses and everybody sort of watches out for each other. The garages are in another location and it's quite nice. And, and it is a house. So that's, uh, an ideal situation. But if if you're not getting people um, that are asking for uh, small houses because they know they're not gonna find them. I've had a lot of people ask me, you know, where can I get a small house in Greenwich? And unfortunately it's it's almost impossible. And I live in a little college cottage community. It's a bunch of little boxes and they're all up in, <laughs> in a bunch of rows in Manhattan. I can tell you that the smallest percentage of people looking for these houses are Manhattanites because when they leave here, they want space. <laughs> they want as much space as they can get. Uh -huh. No, I think that's true. But they could have a lot of they could have a lot of outdoor space, but the house sure. is still small. And you should see some of these houses. I only put really attractive houses in my book. I look at for this book, there's 26 houses. I must have looked at a thousand houses. Before I put a house in the book, it has to be energy efficient. It has to be the right size and it has to be attractive. And all of these houses are very attractive, but they're small. And a lot of them had the option of building it larger. They just didn't want it. Are you seeing this trend in Europe as well or other places? Other I haven't. Um, I haven't been. The book that I did on Prefabulous World was a little while ago. But in Japan, everything is small. All the houses are small, and there are smaller houses in other countries. And the energy is much more expensive. So, like in England, a lot there's a lot of small housing because it's just expensive. Here, nobody wants to put on a sweater. You know, you you turn up the heat to, you know, seventy five. In Europe, people are used to spending a lot of money on energy. So they're used to putting on a sweater, having the house a little bit uh, cooler, and they're much more energy conscious when it comes to building an envelope that's, that's more efficient. I've I, uh, got Charlie and he asks, uh, Charlie Robinson asking a great question in, um, and it's the question we're all asking, which is how can we get, how can we change our zoning in a reasonable way that's not disruptive to towns like New Canaan and Greenwich. Uh, I'm fascinated by what you say about Fairfield using an ADU strategy. And what that means to me is that if you already have a primary house on, on a large lot, you can build an accessory dwelling unit, one of a limited size, a limited height on that same. And presumably the Fairfield strategy makes use of one well one septic, right? One and therefore the ADU. Uh, do they in Fairfield allow the ADU to be rented? You know what? I don't. I don't know what that. What the rules are, but every every community sets their own rules. Some communities say it has to be somebody that is in the family to live there. Others, they say you could rent it out. They have size limitations uh, in California. Um, if you build an ADU that's attached to the house, it could only be 50% the size of the house. 
Um, and uh, they have rules. Uh, there's a percentage that has to be the bedroom, living room, a percentage that has to be the kitchen and a percentage on the bathroom. So everybody has their own rules. In most places though, I think, and I haven't heard otherwise, you when you sell your house, the ADU gets sold with it. And for the most part, I think that it has to use the same electricity and water as, as the main house. But again, everybody can set their own rules for their municipality. So in New Canaan, if this was something that people were interested in, they could go to town hall and in the meetings and say, it's okay, we want there to be ADUs, but they can't be more than, you know, a thousand square feet. Or, you know, they have to have a parking space, an additional parking space. In California, they got rid of that law that you have to have a parking space. So, you know, everybody can make their own rules, but it's going to happen because they're necessary and people should consider like in Greenwich, whether they want these massive buildings that are going up in Greenwich, if they want that, or if they, they want to limit that and have something like ADUs, because there's plenty of space, particularly in backcountry, people are on five acres and they could easily put a small ADU and it wouldn't make any difference to their neighbors. I think people worry that it's gonna be offensive, but they're not, and particularly people that have large lots. What do you think, Charlie? In New Canaan, do we need ADU strategy or a cluster not, housing not strategy? In Canaan, but here in southernmost Columbia County, I'm on the border of Columbia and Dutchess County right now. Okay. Uh, first, I hope that everyone on your call, John, can recognize who Sherry Coons is. And uh, I have most of your books, Sherry, and uh, I'm reserving a property or two, I'm not going to say where, to build something like what you show. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm particularly attracted to the low country one you have in your latest book. So buy the book. Uh, people, my comment, um, I'm going to tie myself to the comment. And that is, if you own your property and you have a chance to get a tax break and you have a chance to solve your town's uh, uh, affordable housing deficit, I assure you, you are not going to build something that is ugly. You're not going to build something that it doesn't comport with what you've got. You're not going to build something that you don't want your own kids in or your own mother, father, aunt, uncle. Okay, so there are your primary renters. The qualifications, I'm sorry to be kind of uh, 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 too pristine about it, but the qualifications are meeting the affordable housing tests. After that, you as homeowner get to decide who will be your neighbor in your ADU. This is why I'm quite favoring a notion like Lilliput, Lilliputians solving these affordable housing problems in beautiful, distinct towns that we all are desired to go to. And Roberto, that goes to Southampton, Wainscott, you know, wherever uh, other places that might impose these types of limits. Here, I assure you, we are doing a she shed that can be a guest house, wood stove fired. I can't say how green it'll be, but if you can put a lot of wood in a wood stove, that's how green you'll be, okay? We are talking about attaching that as a secondary thing at, uh, across a deck to a second level of a barn. So we're getting creative, but I assure you we're getting creative in ways that we want to see, whether it's for our kids who are all in the Mountain West or others that we might want to see as our near-end guests as we age. Thank you. What book do you want to see next out of Sherry, since you already own all 10 books? <laughs> I'd like to see a book that follows what I just said, and that is following people who have solved a family problem, who have solved a, a, a town problem, and or from their hearts are solving an affordability problem in beautiful places that everyone would otherwise like to live. I'm currently working on the next book, which is gonna come out in the spring. And it is called Prefabulous for Everyone, 
and it does include several affordable houses and a different variety of types of housing that people can live in and um, that are affordable and in places where people would want to would want to be. Can I just put, I want to put on the screen one more example from out of left field, but this house is the cheapest house for, for sale in New Canaan right now. And I just want to point out it's on six acres and it's 1,125 feet. And it was built in 1943. So once upon a time, people were building in 1943, they were building 1,100 foot houses. And now I have I, I, I get inquiries from builders and people looking at this lot who say, how big can I build? And I've looked it up and you can build a 30,000 foot house on this six acre lot in New Canaan. You cannot build four, you cannot even build two 1,000 square foot houses. If you bought this lot, you're not even allowed to build one more just like this next to it. You're only allowed to build one structure per lot. And I think that's the fundamental problem that we're talking about here is that if, if zoning can catch up with your books, your concept, it frees us up to be, think more efficiently about that, a thousand foot houses and use our space and use our energy more efficiently. So I'm inspired. I just wanted to point out after we saw all your beautiful, successful examples, I wanted to show you you know, where, where, you know, what the problem looks like. And the problem is you have to take out that thousand foot house and replace it with a 30,000 foot house because of the zoning laws. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. You could build four houses on that lot. They would not be right on top of each other. And I bet they would be incredibly saleable. You'd sell those houses in, in five minutes. What about eight tech-built houses on that site, very carefully arranged around, configurable to families in that beautiful neighborhood? That's an incredible neighborhood, albeit a bit far of a drive, but still bus, school buses go there. Mm -hmm. Guys, Hard look at nine, nine minutes. Gary, <laughs> I have a question. So let's just, um, just to kind of, from all of your experience, all the houses you've seen, if I came to you and I said, Sherry, listen, we sit you down to dinner and I say, listen, I need, your, I need you to consult me and give me, I have a piece of land, half an acre or whatever. I want to build a small house that incorporates the best of the best that you've seen. What would you tell me that you have to do this first, this second, this third, this fourth, this fifth? Like, what is your kind of what is your menu of what I should do first and what I should, you know, the first couple of steps? You need to make sure that, well, your design, you get a design that you like. And I would say, make sure that you get lots of good outdoor space. I would say design that house with all of the efficiencies that you possibly can. The most important thing when you're building a house is that the envelope be efficient. People always ask about solar panels and geothermal. The most important thing, and I think as a builder, you agree, is that the exterior of the house doesn't allow energy in and that you can, that it's very efficient. And then I would design it with a very efficient heating and cooling system, a ductless system. I would get really efficient. I'd say get the most efficient windows that you could possibly get. And, and make sure that whatever you're doing is, is, is gonna make your house comfortable. Um, I, most people in this country don't know what an energy recovery ventilation system is. Are you familiar with that? No, no. Everybody in Europe and around the world has an energy recovery ventilation system. What it does is it exchanges the outside fresh air with the stale inside air, but magically it keeps the heat or the cool that you've already established inside the house. And so you don't have to reheat that house or recool that house and you're always getting fresh air. So to me, I would never build a house without that kind of a system. So you want the house, 
more than anything to be efficient and healthy and comfortable. So those are the things I'd say to do first. Great. Thank you. <laughs> Is that helpful? <laughs> it's great. It's great. But that gives me an idea. Yeah. Are you going to build a house now? I don't know, but how expensive is that system? Oh, it's it's not expensive at all. I mean, it's a normal. That's relative. Well, it's a mechanical system. So you can shop around and, and get them and you can get them in different sizes. But the thing is, you're going to build a house. People, I, I hear people talking and I used to travel a lot. I don't do that. I used to do a lot of conferences, which I don't do so much anymore but I would sit next to builders and they'd say oh people are not interested in efficiencies all they want is to know is that they're going to have expensive countertops and an extra fireplace and that is just ridiculous if you're building a house you want the house to be comfortable healthy environment I mean, those are the things that are important. When I had a very good architect who designed my house and he told me all of the windows had to be the same size. They all had to be, you know, uniform. Well, that's not how people that are really into efficiency build their houses. The, the larger windows should be on the south side where you're going to get the most sun and the and the energy on the north side you want to have smaller windows so that you're not losing energy and you're not getting that much uh sun so i mean these are old concepts of designing and the people that i deal with they're they're putting the windows where they belong to get the most bang out of having that glass there and so it's a matter of intelligent design. And there's a lot of people that are really good at this now. And, but there are unfortunately a lot of people who are designing and they're just, they're doing, you know, all windows should be uniform and we should put granite countertops and, you know, and that kind of thing. And to me, that's not where people's priorities should be. And if you look at the houses in my books, they are inspirational. Even if you don't want to build that house, they're inspirational to see some of the things that people do to make their house comfortable and to save energy. And it's interesting that you're not even familiar with energy recovery ventilation systems. And most of the houses in my books have those. And it's- There's not a lot of that in Manhattan. <laughs> well, okay, you're building in Manhattan, right, of course. But people that are building houses should know about these kind of systems. And they're being used all over the world and used less here. Roberto, we're going to do a show on HVAC. We, there's a lot we need to know about HVAC. <laughs> Geo if you leave your window open, and, if you leave you your window open in Manhattan just that much. For a couple of days, you can just rub your finger along the side and feel the grit. Do you only build houses in uh, Manhattan? Nothing outside of Manhattan? I'm not a builder. I'm a real estate broker in Manhattan. Oh, you, oh okay. Scott is the builder. Okay. And Pete is the architect. So do you guys know about um, energy recovery ventilation systems? That's good. I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> but we need to know more. We need to educate the whole world. So we're going to do a whole show on HVAC. Do you know what? I wrote, I've written like five, six books on, on prefab construction. And I still go to a party and somebody says, what do you do? And I say, I write about prefab construction. And they go, oh, you mean those tiny little ugly boxes? And this is, I have talked at, at conferences all over the country. I have written books. And most people still equate prefab with cheap and tacky. And, and they should see some of what these houses look like. And they're, I mean, they're nothing like, like tacky and small. Well, I am so thankful that you're writing these books. And I'm <laughs> so glad that we can introduce you and your books to a few more people here and on YouTube in the coming weeks. Uh, I think this has been a tremendous education. I now know uh, what the small houses are. 
I know who's who's building them, what what parts of the population, why. I'm learning that uh, we can be more efficient in our energy and our use of space, that it's not about being cheap uh, or affordable, although it is more affordable. So I learned a great deal this week. Thank you very much, Sherry. Uh, thank you, thank you Roberto. I'll let you- Thank uh, you, Sherry. Carolyn. Thank so you, what you, Did you learn anything, Roberto? A lot, a lot. Actually, I think the houses are really cute, but I don't think it would be a primary residence. But That's okay. But I think it would be, I, I, love the, I love the little, because they feel like clubhouses kind of thing. And I like that coziness. Okay. Well, that's fine. You could, next time somebody wants to build a uh, vacation home, you can give them all of the, that information. <laughs> Roberto is a New Yorker. They all think they need more space. We in Connecticut who have a lot of space all want to get more efficient, want to, want to get small again. Right, Charlie? Right. Sherry, they all just want to come to Manhattan. Don't believe that. <laughs> I lived in Manhattan for a good part of my life. And actually, when I wrote my first book, I built a house in Greenwich and I knew nothing about home construction. That's why I did all this research. And when I realized what some of the pitfalls were, I wrote a book for all of those people to avoid those pitfalls. It was a book called From Sandcastles to Dream Houses. And I thought I was done and I was going to go back to, I was in the fashion business. And here I am 20 years later, still writing. That's awesome. Well, thank you. And the world thanks thank you, you for, your, for your books and your efforts. Thank you very much, Sherry. Thank you so much. Thanks, Charles, for participating too. And thank appreciate you. it. Nice thank you, Roberto. Take care, <laughs> Johnny. See you, bud. Bye. I'll get my screen down there. There we go. And.